We're trying to solve three things. First thing is accessibility to bills. It's 2021. We should not receive paper bills and that's the only format we get them in. Number two is usability. If you've ever tried to pay a medical bill, you know how difficult that can be. And third piece is affordability. Healthcare expenses are out of control and growing like 7% a year. We can't make a $50,000 bill that much better, but we can help with a $500 bill or a $1,000 bill. And we're tackling that through enabling payment plans and, and a couple other financing options. Hi everyone, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we talk about all things FinTech. And in this episode, I am joined by PJ Santoro, co-founder and CTO of Peachy Pay, a startup that's focused on healthcare payments that, you know, this doesn't happen often, but they're actually a newer company than even FinTech Today is. So I'm excited to dive into this um, and hear how everything's going and what they're trying to accomplish. PJ, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So first off, I know a little bit about you just for, um, you know, background and everything. You know, one of the people that now works for you did some contract work for us a little bit. So he spilled me in on what you guys are doing because he's very excited about it. But for those in our audience that are not familiar with Peachy Pay, what exactly are you guys trying to do? Yeah. So, I mean, in short, we're really simplifying the payment experience for patients. Um, patients are typically, and this, this sounds backwards, but they are typically neglected in healthcare when it comes to the tools and things that they have available to them to help their experience interacting with the healthcare system. Um, so in short, you know, we're trying to solve three things. First thing is accessibility to bills. So it's 2021. We should not receive paper bills and that that's the only format we get them in. Um, number two is usability. So if you've ever tried to pay uh, a medical bill, you know how difficult that can be. And it's funny, like a majority of people that we talk to, investors and partners and things, everybody has a medical bill sitting on their desk that they've been meaning to pay, but they don't get around it to it because they know it's it's a 20 minute process. And that's if things go properly and, and correctly. It's like any mistake in there and you end up calling the office and you're on hold for an hour. Um, and then the third piece is affordability. So Obviously, we all know healthcare expenses are out of control and growing like seven percent a year. Um, we, you know, we can't make we can't make a fifty thousand dollar bill that much better if it's coming from like a hospital, a long hospital stay. But we can help with a five hundred dollar bill or a thousand dollar bill, um, and we're tackling that through enabling payment plans and and a couple other uh, financing options. Yeah, one way that someone described you guys to me before um, that I think will resonate with the audience too, just based on some topics that we've talked about lately, is like buy now, pay later for medical bills. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, so that's that's really that third tier of our product. We have this core product that is enabling accessibility and usability of medical bills, and it seems like something really easy to do. Um, it's, it's not easy to do in healthcare. So that's kind of like a core product on top of that, those affordability, um, options that we want to enable as well. Payment plans are, are fairly easy because most providers will offer payment plans. Um, the problem with that though, is that the provider ends up giving an interest-free loan. So they're the ones extending that, that, that loan to you, um, as a patient, and they're just getting the, the money as it comes in, as you make those payments. Um, what we want to do is really enable something that pays out the provider and allows the patient to pay for their care at the same time. So it's this, this win-win scenario that we're creating. Um, and that's definitely part of the core product. We, we say, you know, we have, we have the core product in place. This is like built on distribution for this buy now, pay later side of things. Um, but 
it's really a win-win for both the patients and providers. So we think it's really important. So who would you be integrating with then? Are you going to hospitals, to uh, insurance providers, to consumers directly? Like how, how would you get involved in the system? Like what's your go-to-market strategy here? Yeah, we are very focused on making sure that we're deeply embedded into the provider workflow. So um, there's a lot of payment options out there today for patients, and they typically come from the patient or the consumer side. Um, that's a problem, though, because the providers typically don't agree with those terms that are set, but they'll take the money anyway to get paid out and to keep their cash flow moving. Uh, so we are integrating into those billing systems that provider providers use. And we're really focused on those small to medium-sized providers. The large hospitals and health systems, like I said, like those bills are huge. Um, tough, tough to make affordable uh, with the options that we have. So what we're really focused on is small to medium-sized practices, specialists, and kind of what we're calling fringe healthcare, all the new tech-enabled healthcare services that are out there today. Um, how can we make those more accessible and more affordable? And what that means is we're basically tapping into the billing systems that they use every day, the same system where that paper bill originates from. And we take that same information and extend it digitally and then add on kind of those usability and affordability aspects to, of the product. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just trying to think back to some recent bills that I've gotten. They have indeed been paper uh, in the mail. Lots of them have been forwarded from old addresses since I just moved from New York to Austin. Uh, but there's also, you'll often see like 50 different freaking numbers on the thing. You're like, wait, which one do I actually owe? Like, this is the one where it's like, okay, insurance covered this much. And like, this is how much the hospital would have billed me directly. Here's how much wasn't covered. Here's how much, I like, it's so hard to actually even understand what's on that piece of paper. How are you guys tackling that? Yeah. So today we're, we're completely focused on the patient responsibility portion. So after all the insurance things happen, it comes back to the provider and insurance company said, okay, the patient responsibility portion is $200. The provider will send that bill out. We are, we're deeply focused on that piece because that's what the patient's responsible for today. We want to make sure that we can make that as easy to pay for as we can and, and affordable as, as we can. We know we're going to have to get involved earlier than that. And we will. And the first way we're going to do that is simply by empowering the patient to understand that information better. So if, you go to the doctor and you have an encounter and the doctor logs everything that happened during that encounter. Those turn into billing codes. Those billing codes go to the insurance company. Now, most patients won't understand those billing codes. So we are thinking of ways to like humanize how we can communicate to the patient what happened during that encounter and why you're paying this much. And then the next step of that is like, what did your insurance plan actually cover and why are you responsible for this amount? If we can complete that that kind of like loop, um, we can enable and empower patients, you know, to either push back on medical bills that they don't agree with, um, or, you know, given the sense of comfort that they understand the bill, they'll pay for it quicker. So um, it's a win-win again for a patient and provider. Provider, provider will get paid out quicker uh, than they would in the past. What a been some of the biggest points of pushback that you've received because I don't know if this is the same on the billing side but I know some doctors that I've talked to 
Like, a lot of it is now digital, which was even before pandemic, you would start to get like your lab reports emailed to you and things like that. And I know like my father-in-law, for instance, is a doctor and said there's aspects of the digital process that he actually hates because there's like people aren't good at using it and they put in weird notes that don't need to be in there and it just gets to be kind of messy. So I would assume there's some similar things with the billing process. Explain that to me a little bit. There's a there's a graph out there, I forgot where it is, but it shows like healthcare GDP and it shows like 90% of it is admin work. It's not even actually <laughs> like caretaking. And this is this is this explains it all. It's like if you talk to doctors, what they do all day, they spend a lot of time like in the EHR and the health record system, uh, either logging the encounter or making sure all the codes are complete or making sure, you know, all the admin side of taking care of a patient is completed because that's how they get paid and it drive you know they're driven by incentives so that is that's a huge problem with healthcare and that's that's our main focus right now is like how do we embed ourselves in their workflow in their admin workflow and make sure that we're not adding any overhead for the administration side of a practice or for the billing you know um, the billing admin that sits at the practice we want to make sure that we are a seamless um, connection with them so that's, that's typically the pushback you get. Anytime you go to sell to a health system or you go to sell to a small provider, the first thing they'll ask you is like, how are you going to disrupt my, my day-to-day workflow today? And you have, to, you, know, you have to make sure that you are seamless and you're not adding too much to their workflow. Yeah, you mentioned you're the, the CTO. So I would assume a lot of this relies on you making sure that that technology can integrate very easily, be super like... <laughs> Obviously, doctors are not engineers, and it has to be super seamless for them to actually like embed this system and enter the data that needs to be entered, and you know know that it's super secure since it's health data, all of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And um, a big problem I think that aligns very well with like financial services and, and fintech side of things is like a lot of data transfer and interoperability that happens in healthcare today is done via SFTP and CSV. So a lot like like ACA transfers and things like that. So it's not too far off. Um, and that's the world we have to we have to work in. So like us as a tech company, sure, we want to do everything the most modern and innovative ways we possibly can. But at the end of the day, we still have to interact with these with these systems that are in place at medical practices or, or hospitals and the doctors that also have to work in them. So we have to respect, you know, their world that they're that they're living in. Um, but we need to make sure that we are that we are that crossover point into actual actual modern technology because that's what the patient expects. Us as consumers, the tools that we use are, are very, very different than what um, the tools are that are offered by medical practices and hospitals. All right, so on a personal level, like this sounds really hard. What made you decide that you wanted to make the jump and try to tackle this? Because like, I, I have a lot of admiration for what you're doing, but I don't know that I could handle trying to tackle this system. Like, it sounds like a massive problem. <laughs> I, I asked my, my uh, I actually asked myself that all the time still, because I, <laughs> I did it. I started, I started working in health tech startups like seven or eight years ago, and I just keep going back to them. And I, I don't really know why. Like, I feel like <laughs> at some point it's going to, it's going to stick and I'm going to make, make progress and we're going to build something. And, and I, I mean, we've been successful in the past. It's just healthcare is so big and so challenging that, you know, you're just like kind of chipping, chipping away. But, um, but yeah, the founding story, Lex is, is really uh, the founding story. And, and she had 
uh, a healthcare issue when she was in high school that led to medical debt. And that kind of stuck with her her whole life. And then she had this exact problem happen to her where a medical bill for like $144 went to the wrong address and she mm-hmm. never got it. Um, and it's just completely unfair. Like if you move, you know, USPS forwarding as good as it is, once in a while, you just don't get that letter. And it's not like it's certified or anything. There's tracking on it. Whoever sent it just doesn't care. So you don't get it, goes to collections. You have a collections trade line on your credit report. Your score goes down. She was applying for an apartment and she couldn't get the apartment because her credit was 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 wow. tanked. And, and she didn't know why. And this she, was a $144 bill. It's not like it's some five or $10,000 yeah. bill, $144. Like, like, like something she would have easily paid for if she had the bill in hand. Um, and it ended up, you know, costing, causing her a lot of headache and, and stress because she couldn't get an apartment now and she had to go solve this collections issue. And she went through the whole collections runaround and she was at the end of it. She was like, why hasn't somebody built this? Like, why isn't somebody working on this? And then the backside of it is like positive credit reporting. Why should a medical bill, if it goes to collections, only affect you negatively? Why can't you, you know, be affected positively if you pay on time and in full? So that's something else that we're tackling. But, but that's the founding story. And, and I'm, when I met Lex and she told me that story, I was like, I mean, as a patient and everyone we talk to understands how that can easily happen to any one of us, even if you are, you know, well, you know, you're well off and you understand the healthcare industry, that could still happen to you. Um, the medical bill going to the wrong address is, is a common problem and it could happen to any one of us. Yeah, no, I mean, like I mentioned at the beginning, there's been some bills that I've gotten forwarded for like a $25 chiropractor appointment. And like, now I'm imagining that going to collections and not having been able to buy a house because I didn't pay a $25 chiropractor bill. Like that's insane. And I, I mean, if I was in Lexi's shoes, I would have like, gotten over it, like paid the bill, been done with it, like done things to boost my credit and been done. And then I admire the fact that she decided to like increase her own personal headache to hope that other people don't have to have this headache in the future. <laughs> exactly. That, that was it. That was the main motivation behind the company. She was like, this, this should have existed already. And I would have used it as a patient consumer and it could have saved me from this headache. How could we do this for other people? And, and she's, she's, I mean, she's like set on this holistic health concept of like, if this happens to you, it's going to spin off, you know, this, this vortex of like, you're not getting out of this debt. If you're in debt, it's harder to get out of it. It's harder to get an apartment. It's harder to get a loan and just digs you deeper into a hole. So, um, we want to break that cycle. Yeah. And obviously healthcare in the U S is very different than from other areas of the world. Would peachy be applicable to other countries or, I mean, obviously you're early, so you're only focused on us right now, but like, would it make sense elsewhere too? Yeah, it would. So we were like talking to a couple of people in Canada a couple of weeks ago and for, for core services, probably not, wouldn't apply so much because there's not a lot of patient responsibility. You go mm-hmm. to the hospital, you go to your doctor and you don't really see a bill, but for what we're calling kind of like this fringe healthcare tech enabled therapies, um, other services that are offered that aren't typically covered by like maybe even primary insurance plans or secondary insurance plans. Those are perfect for it. Um, and we see that a lot today. Like a lot of the, the lending options and financing options in healthcare are focused on things like cosmetic um, or dental or, you know, the things that are outside typical traditional healthcare or what you consider that. So, so there is, there's a lot of opportunity um, in the rest of the world as well. Would this be, I would assume it's more applicable 
to people that do have health insurance just because usually if I get a bill and it wasn't through health insurance, like my chiropractor wasn't covered or whatever it might be, I'll like Venmo them or pay them in cash or something instead of actually like going through the system. Is that true or am I wrong there? It, it happens a lot, especially with small providers. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at a small practice a couple weeks ago and the ways that they get paid were kind of exactly like you described. Like they will take anything they can get to make sure that they get paid quickly and in full. So they don't really put, you know, restrictions in place. Um, but by offering something like peachy pay, we want to make sure that patients can use any method as well. Mm-hmm. So like we have Apple pay and Google pay enabled by default. If you get a bill from peachy pay, you get a link in your email or in your tech in a text, you click it and you can pay that bill right away. So we want to make sure that speed of payment is, is accessible for patients and, um, we're starting with Google and Apple Pay. We'll move kind of down the line using PayPal and, and Venmos and things like that. But uh, it's super important because especially the small providers that don't have a lot of cash flow coming in or they have cash flow issues, um, they need to get paid. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're only focused on that consumer payment right now and not the payment from the health insurance company to the provider itself at this point, right? Correct. It's, yeah, it's, it's patient responsibility from the provider to the patient and then the patient paying the provider. Is there reason for you guys to go B2B as well in the future? Cause I'd imagine like there's obviously a lot of transaction volume happening there. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so technically we are B2B cause we're selling to the, we're selling to the providers directly. Um, but yes, on the insurance side, which is the rev cycle process, um, it's very complicated uh, and working with payers uh, takes a lot of time. So we know if we tackle the patient responsibility piece and we kind of allow affordability for the patients, then we can get into, okay, what is actually happening from the provider to the insurance company back to the patient? If we understand that better, then it's like what I said earlier, it's, it's how do we empower the patient to understand what's happening during that process? Because most people don't. Um, even myself, like I've been working in, in healthcare for a while, I still don't understand half of the stuff that goes on from provider to insurance company, insurance company to patient. So if we could somehow enable patients to understand that process better, that is, that's definitely step one. So since you guys are so new, where are you guys live now? Is it just beta testing? Like how would someone come across you at this point? Yeah. So we launched our MVP uh, in April and we're actively working with a handful of pilot partners across different specialties and different practice sizes. Um, and they're all somewhere in the phases of implementation. Uh, we are going to have a first pilot partner on board by October 1st. So um, we are in the market and we are available to have conversations with providers. Um, but we will have live payment processing uh, happening in October. So if someone like me that's not a provider that would be a, a potential patient wants to learn more about you guys or like wants to tell my doctor about you, like how exactly should they go about doing that? Yeah, so so we set up a refer my provider page on the website, so peachypay.com. Um, it's it's linked, and we want to encourage this. There's this viral loop. This Lex always talks about this viral loop of like patients referring providers, and it does work. Um, you know, people have talked about the consumerization of healthcare for a really long time, and it's it's getting kind of old. But what we're seeing now is this decentralization of technologies that providers and hospitals are using. And they're coming out that they're they're benefiting the patient because patients are demanding more from from their healthcare. 
uh, especially because they're paying more than ever. So, so we're seeing that patients actually do have a lot of say in, in the tools and things that their providers are using. So we have a refer my provider uh, link on the website and essentially that will go into our pipeline and we'll have those um, targeted for, uh, for marketing and sales. And from the patient perspective, obviously we know that they're going to, um, you know, save money. They're going to make sure that like they're not having bills that are going to the wrong addresses and not being able to get apartments that they want. But from the provider standpoint, what are the big selling points that you're going into them with? Are they also like saving money and getting paid faster? Or what all goes in there? Yeah. I mean, number one is increasing collections. So um, a lot of small practices have issues with collections. It's either patients aren't paying quick enough, they're not paying on time. And what we're finding is like 10% of provider revenue is typically outstanding um, post the, you know, 30, 60, 90 days or, or more. And then the other thing is providers don't want to send patients to collections, um, especially if, if that patient's going to come back over and over. Like once you send that patient to collections, you've kind of burned that bridge and they're probably not going to come back because it's, it's easy to go, <laughs> go find another doctor, you know, down the street. So, so that's something that they are being a bit more cautious about um, and they want to make sure that they are providing a good patient experience or giving the patient an option before collections to somehow pay that bill, whether it's through a payment plan or another financing option. So th these are like trends that I think are relatively new, like last couple of years, these are happening more and more. Um, and then speed of payment is of course a huge one. So every, you know, half the people that we talk to have a, have a bill on their desk and they're not paying it because it's just difficult to pay. If we can make that one click, you know, coming to your phone or a couple clicks and make it really easy to pay, um, speed of payment will just go through the roof and, and these providers will have, you know, better cash flow. Amazing. So if anyone wants to learn more, like PJ said, go to peachypay.com. It's like the fruit and then pay.com. Um, and otherwise check out fintechtoday.co to sign up for our newsletter, get podcast updates, stay in touch with everything happening in this industry. Otherwise, PJ, thank you for coming on. This is great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's fun.